One of the interesting things that um, I get to do and I get to enjoy is to, um, of course, serve as a pastor, but then I receive emails from different people for different things. I also receive emails, and not just myself, but most of my colleagues here, we receive emails from itinerant uh, pastors and worship teams, and they say, hey, we will be in your area in May, we will be in your area in August, and we would love to come and sing for your congregation, love to come and preach in your church, and so we'd send an email back saying, okay, so who are you again, and what do you preach? Is there a sermon we can, ac- we can have access to just so that we can see who you are and what kind of gospel you're preaching? And so they would send us all these materials so that we can gauge to see, well, should we invite them or not? See, it's the same thing that the Apostle Paul did when he was writing to the church in Rome. He hadn't been to Rome. He hadn't planted the church yet. He didn't plant the church in, 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 in Rome. He was on his way to Spain. And so he chooses to write a letter so that the letter can go before him, so the people in Rome, the church in Rome can see, the Christian church in Rome can see the gospel he's preaching. Now, he'd been preaching in other churches and preaching the gospel constantly. And there's various opposition that comes. So when he's writing to the, to the Romans, he writes a beautiful letter. When he comes to chapter 8, chapter 8 is a chapter that I would consider one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible, loaded with wonderful, amazing promises to the Christian. But see, Paul knows that the Jew and some Gentiles in Rome are asking themselves the question, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Why? Why are they asking the question? Because, yeah, God is giving all these promises in Romans 8. Paul is saying, hey, God is doing this, that, and the other. But God gave the nation of Israel forever and ever promises in the Old Testament. Has God fulfilled those promises? Yeah, no. Why? Because the Jews have rejected God. So can God be trusted? And so Paul chooses now, okay, I'm going to engage this question head on, and I'll engage it. I'll give you two answers. The first is what we've been looking at these past two weeks, the doctrine of election, where Paul is very clear saying, hey, God has repeatedly demonstrated that he operates by sovereign choice in the Old Testament. And coming into the New, throughout the Old Testament, God has been operating with sovereign choice. So you'll see he chose Isaac over Ishmael, he chose Jacob over Esau, Moses over Pharaoh. Like God is doing all these amazing things there. And you may listen to that. And even his hearers are hearing this and say, how dare he? This is so not fair. So not fair. Why would God do this? Then how can he hold someone responsible if he is the one who's sovereignly choosing who will become a Christian? And who will follow him is so unfair to which Paul responds and says, hey, God is the potter, humanity, the clay. Since when did the clay start speaking back to the pot? In other words, to the potter. In other words, what Paul is saying here is God is king. If God is king, he's meticulously sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. God is king. He can do whatever he wants. But that's not all that Paul says. In today's text, he'll also say God is judge. So if God is the judge, this means that he's judging people. Based on what? Based on their choices. Which means then Paul is saying, hey, human beings have a choice. So yes, God is sovereign, but human beings are also responsible. And what's interesting is Paul is very comfortable putting these two things together. 
that God chooses, but then human beings are responsible. And so now the challenge for us is how do we square these two? How do they fit? And for Paul, hey, he doesn't tell you how they fit. The scriptures will not tell you how these two fit. There are two parallel truths that the scriptures do teach, that God sovereignly elects, but people are also responsible. How do they jive? The Bible doesn't tell us. Now, for our time this morning, we don't have time to really dig, uh, to, to, to work our way as to how do these two doctrines work together. For that treatment, you, uh, I, will, I would want to recommend a book. Uh, it's written by an author called J.I. Packer, who is a professor of theology in, um, at uh, Regent College in Vancouver. His name is J.I. Packer. The book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Phenomenal book, very accessible, easy read. But man, he has some really good content in this book. Why should we evangelize if God truly is sovereign? And so he'll deal with this issue in that book, and I'll leave you with that. For today's purposes, Paul is now still answering that question. Can God be trusted can God really be trusted here? And Paul is saying, yeah, people are responsible. People are responsible. So in what way is the nation of Israel responsible? In what way were they responsible? And then Paul would go on to say, hey, they were pursuing righteousness, but they did not attain it. They were pursuing righteousness. They didn't attain righteousness. So the question is, how do you attain righteousness? And righteousness here means they were morally right. They fulfilled God's moral standards. So to be righteous is to fulfill God's moral standards, to meet his standards so that you're good with him, you're great with him. So how does someone attain righteousness? Because the, the Jews pursued it did not attain it. So two things that we'll be looking at this morning. First, righteousness is not attainable through human effort. It's not attainable through human effort. Second, it's attainable through faith in Jesus. So, not attainable through human effort. Do you have a friend who is um, a prankster? A friend who just loves playing games and tricks uh, at you. They scare you. They, they put funny things, like they put Vaseline on your door handle. Those, those kinds of friends, right? Someone like Jeff would do something like this. <laughs> so, um, now I want you to imagine you're now busy at work. Maybe you, you, you own an old piano that's in your house and it's now become an eyesore. It's off tune, it's falling apart, it's just collecting dust. You want this thing out. So you invite your buddies, of course you invite your buddies, who will come and move this thing. So you're busy trying to move this piano, you want to get it through the corners of your house and maybe down the steps out of your front door and into a truck. And so you're busy right there at the front door trying to get this heavy piano through and this prankster friend of yours takes a block of wood and places it right by your feet intentionally. Now you didn't see them doing that, but they do that and so you step on it, slip, and this piano kind of like goes to fall and it maybe squeezes your hand by the door jam. How would you feel? Would you be thrilled by your friend, right? Would you be laughing with them? No. You would be good and mad, 
Why would your friend put a stumbling block on your way? And yet you're busy doing something here that needs to be done. You'll be good and mad at your friend. And you may have some choice words for them, right? What if it was God who intentionally put a stumbling block on your path? What would you think of him then? What would you say to him if God intentionally put a stumbling block on your path? Well, let's read Romans 9, 30, 33. What shall we say then? This is Paul speaking. He's talking about what, so he's responding to what he's talked about, God's sovereign election. God is king. He can do whatever he wants. What shall we say then, he says? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That, the word fall there, you could also replace it by a rock that will offend people. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. See, I lay a rock, a stone in Zion. One that will cause people to stumble. So this is intentional that God is doing this. So I'll give you an example. So there's a lady who I used to call grandma and she's, she's long since passed away a number of years ago. And grandma was an amazing person. She was one of these people who you would look at and say, man, I wish she was a Christian. Why? Because she was awesome. She loved the kids within the community. She baked for people. She was on a fixed income. But anyone who would ask for help, she always would just give them what she had. She would support food for the hungry and compassion and all these things she would do. She loved her children she was married to a very difficult man who long since passed, and she was widowed for a number of years. But this guy was a jerk, and he, she was married to him, gave her a difficult time, but she was faithful and loving toward him. She was a good person. So, of course, there's grandma. So I decided, hey, let's go and share the gospel with grandma. So we go, we share the gospel, you know. God created all things. Then man rebelled. Christ redeemed and he will come and restore all things. So sharing the gospel. So when I come to, hey, man rebelled. God created, but man rebelled against God. And now nothing good, man can do nothing good to gain favor with God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means sinners are destined for judgment of God. She said, whoa, wait. Wait, 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 wait. You mean to say that all the good things I have done don't count for anything? Yes, grandma, they don't count for anything. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So you mean to say that God would now judge me and send me to eternal hell because I didn't believe in Jesus, but I've been really good and been doing all these good things? Yes, Grandma, unless you believe in Jesus, your good works mean nothing. Her response, quote, I can't believe in a God who would do that. 
See, for her, she was doing good, 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 good. Therefore, her good works would merit heaven. And I came and I told her, this is not what the gospel is teaching. And she said, I cannot believe in a God who would do that. Ladies and gentlemen, she just stumbled over the stumbling block. She just stumbled. Because God put that stumbling block there to say, your good works not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. How was Christ a stumbling stone to the Jews? How was he a stumbling block to the Jews? You see, the Jews assumed that we just need to be good and obey and obey and be good and be good and be good enough. That's why Paul is saying here, they pursued righteousness, this right standing with God, verse 32, because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They were busy. They were zealous, as we shall see in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. Let's read it together. Brothers and sisters, he says. Romans 10, 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Oh, he wants them to become Christians. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Man, they have passion for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit. There is the word. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Man, they were zealous. They were zealous. It's like, you know, American Idol, you've watched this show, or America's Got Talent, and you have all these uh, contestants. And so there I am seated watching America's Got Talent, and then you see, you know, before, when a contestant is coming, they'll show you the backstory. This person is in their home, and they'll show you stories about them and what they do, and how they believe they're just the best musician ever, and they're their next rising star. And you're thinking, man, this guy was really sing. Or this girl, man, she's just going to bring it. So they come to the stage. Lights are there. The judges are there. A short interview. Okay, sing away. The music starts, and I'm like, oh, I know this song. So I start, okay, let's see this person singing. <laughs> and then they open their mouth, and oh, dear. <laughs> oh, my. Like, you know, there's certain performances that are train wreck, you start laughing. And then there are others where you don't know what to, whether to laugh or, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> it's that bad. But the person, they're into it. Like, they're really into it. They're so zealous. They so think they have it going on. And they don't. <laughs> and, then the, and then the performance is done and the judge... The judges will just say, hey, dude, we have to commend your zeal. Man, you are so passionate, aren't you? And the guy's like, yeah, 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 but you can't sing. <laughs> you so, like, find a different line of work. I have a personal story about that, but that's for another sermon. You may have to come back. <laughs> they were zealous. They were so zealous, in fact, the uh, Pharisees, they went through the Old Testament and found out that there were 613 commands in the Old Testament. And so what did they decide to do? 
613 commands that you needed to keep in order to be righteous with God, in order to be in good standing with God. So what they decided to do is let's put a hedge around these commands so that we don't break them. What is a hedge, you may ask? My son delivers papers in Abbotsford. So you probably have seen him like running around your house, just dropping papers off and things like that. And he, he, he works for the Abbotsford newspaper. I mean, he's been lazy for years. So I kind of thought, okay, let's give some work ethic in you. So Thursday, Wednesday and Friday, he's delivering papers. He's done this for a year and son, good job. So he's done this for a year. And so this past summer, he decided to, he had saved up all his money, his earnings, and he bought himself a computer. So I said, son, great job. It's a beautiful computer, but computers and liquids don't go together. So if you're drinking your pop or your iced tea or water next to your computer, you really want to be careful because if you tip that thing and the water goes on the keyboard, it might not end well. He's like, oh, really? Okay, then will have a rule. What's the rule? There will be no liquids in my room, period. Like no liquids, no drinks, no nothing, not even standing in his room far away from his desk with nothing, no liquids in my room. Even when it's in my backpack, it's not going to make its way in my room. Lest, for some reason, the water bottle finds its way on my desk and pours itself on my computer. Like he has a ridiculous rule and he's very firm about that. His sister's not allowed in his room with anything in their hands, not wet hands, not a drink, nothing. That is a rule, a hedge that he has put around the real rule, hey, be careful if you have a drink next to your machine. Like it's a ridiculous thing, but he's put a hedge around it. He's passionate about his machine that he paid for using his own money. See, the Jews were passionate about God and they did not want to break any laws and so they put a hedge around these 613 commands that the Pharisees had already figured out from the Old Testament. We don't want to break any laws, but in so doing, they totally missed the point that Christ is the point of the law. They totally missed that completely and broke it in three ways. The first, they lacked knowledge. And it's not that they didn't have access to knowledge. The prophets had already been speaking about Christ and the Messiah coming. Totally missed that because they were focusing on obeying the law, obeying the law. So they didn't have knowledge and so they established their own way of getting righteous before God. They established their own route. And not only that, they refused to submit. They refused to submit to Christ. See, it's like, let's say you are on a triathlon on steroids. So not only are you going to do the run and the cycling and the swimming, no, but throw in there, you're going to do this mud, the, the, the mud course where you're going into mud and crawling under barbed wire and climbing up all sorts of obstacles and things like that. Imagine if you had a race like that, to, you run through terrain like this, swimming, cycling, and running for a whole year or even two years. And there was a time limit to it. It's an impossible terrain. You cannot make it. Now, it's not about winning the race. It's about finishing the race. If you finish, there's a banquet waiting for you. 
So there you are, running and running and trying and running and trying. And then someone who has come and has finished the course comes beside you with a nice little buggy and tells you, hey, buddy, you can't finish this race. This is so, this is an impossible task. There are people who will die and never finish. Jump on board. I will take you on my buggy all the way to the finish line and into the banquet. And you're saying, no way, I don't want anything to do with that. No way, get out of here. I gotta keep running, I gotta keep running. This is the Jews now. Christ comes and says, hey, I finished the race. I will just jump on in, jump on in, and I'll take you to the finish line right into my banquet. No, 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 you get away, get away. We gotta do this, we gotta do this. It's like, hey, here's this fence that you need to climb over, and Christ opens the gate and says, hey, there's a gate here, open gate. No, 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 I gotta climb. There's an open gate. You don't need to keep sweating and scratching. It's all they're sweating and scratching themselves. Sadly, there are many Christians who are like this. There are many of us who are like this. When you pray and pray and God is not answering that prayer the way you want him to answer this prayer, what do you do? You just say, okay, I gotta be good. I gotta do good. I gotta do good. I gotta do good. I just be good. My kids have to be a certain way. My spouse has to be a certain way. We gotta go to church and do this. We gotta do A, B, C, D, E. We have to be just perfectly right so that God can bless me. The reason God is not blessing me is because we're not good enough. Or there are some who, man, I try to be good. I try to be good. I really try. I try. I try. I try. I try and read the Bible. I try and give. I try and do this. I try and do that. But they, my kids are just crazy and I do this and my business is not going haywire and I'm so not good enough. I give up. Forget it. Cannot do this anymore. I'm done. They walk away. Is that you? You see, there are some who are moralists. It's all about keeping rules and keeping lists so that you can earn God's favor. And the scriptures will say, your good works ain't good enough. Your good works ain't good enough. You see, there is the third kind of person who's running the race and they realize, I can't run this race. I can't run this race. I can't run this race. I am so not good enough. I don't have what it takes in me. I can't, I know. And then Christ comes alongside with his buggy and says, hey buddy, how are you doing? You still running? I can't run, I can't run. Christ says, hey, you know, I can help you. Oh, really? Yeah, jump on board. I'll take you to the finish line. And they jump on board. See, for this kind of person, for this kind of person, righteousness is attainable through faith in Jesus. They realized, I cannot run this race. I will not finish. The only way I'm finishing this course is if I jump onto Christ's buggy and we go to the finish line where he'll now usher me into his banquet, his champion's banquet. That's the only way I'll get there. Righteousness attainable through faith in Jesus. Look at verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. That's what Moses said. The person who does these things will live by them. The person who does these things will live by them. What Moses means by that is, hey, here's the law of God. If you follow this law to the T, you will finish the race. But here Paul is implying there is no one who can finish this race. 
There is no one who can keep God's law perfectly because if you break one, you have a dirty thought, or you say something bad or a bad attitude, you've broken the law, you don't qualify, you only, want to, you only need to break it once. That's it. Just once. You don't qualify. You say one lie, done. You think an evil thought, done. Bad attitude, done. No one can meet the standard. Nobody. Verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What he means by that there is, hey, now what does Christ's law say? What does the law of righteousness say? Hey, it's righteousness by faith. What does it say? It says this, you do not need to go into the heavens to seek out Christ or go to the world of the dead to seek out Christ. In other words, you don't need to do anything supernatural in order to be close to God. Verse eight, but what does it say? This is what it says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. Verse nine, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are what? Saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, meaning you will never end up in hell. You'll not be judged. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of, of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Why? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Everyone who calls on the name of of the Lord will be saved. God has done what people are unable to do. See, God created all things, but man rebelled. We were rebels. Relationship broken. We could not reconcile ourselves to God even if we wanted to. We couldn't. And we didn't want to. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still rebels, sinners, Christ died for us. So God created, man rebelled, Christ redeemed. He paid the price for your rebellion and mine. And he will restore one day. God was able to do what we were unable to do. You see, it's like an image of a parent a set of parents who now want to adopt a child. And so they go to this orphanage, be it in Africa, pick the country, or the Dominican or Mexico. They walk into this orphanage and they see these kids running around, orphaned kids, kids destitute. They don't have anything. Poverty all over the place. Their future, dark. The parents come. They see these kids and the kids are trying to do their laundry and clean up their rooms and try to do their work as best as they can. But can these kids remove themselves from their situation? They cannot. They are destitute. Their future, not bright. 
There they are. And so the parents do what? They take the paperwork. They begin to fill the paperwork. The child is not helping the adopting parents to fill out the paperwork. The child is not helping the adopted parents to pay the mortgage of the house where the room will be, where this child will live. Not helping with the mortgage at all. Not helping with the fees. Not helping with the airfare. Nothing. The parents do everything. And then they show up at the orphanage and stand there and then say, son or daughter, come on over. And the child, all they have to do is say, yes, God has done what man was unable to do. God has done what man was unable to do. So how then do we get into this right standing? How do we get this Righteousness of God. Two ways. First, confess that Jesus is Lord. Verse 9. And second, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You see, to believe in your heart means to commit oneself in the deepest level. To commit yourself in the deepest level to the truth that has just been revealed to you. And the truth that you've just experienced. You commit in the deepest part of you that yes... This is true. And not only that, it's not just something that happens inward. Then you, you use words to express that conviction. You see, I, I met a friend of mine this past week, and he was um, we were in a restaurant. By the way, just as a side note here, when you meet your Christian friend, and maybe you've met for a number of years, and you know them, if you don't know how they became Christians, please ask them to share their testimony with you. It's a great stories of how God has transformed the lives of people. So I talked to my buddy, the restaurant. I asked him, buddy, how do you become a Christian? So he said, oh, I grew up Catholic. Then I left the church, was so disgruntled with the church. I began just living for myself, doing all the crazy things. Met this girl, we fell in love. He said, living together, common law, we had a child. But man, we were fighting like dogs and fighting and fighting and things were just going crazy. Work was not going well. Our family was just in a mess in sixes and sevens and we're just fighting constantly until one time she said, where is God in all of this? And then I said, well, let's go find him. So I phoned, he says, I phoned a friend no, a relative who I knew was a Christian and asked him, so where do you go to church? Like maybe we might just want to come to church because he's now on a quest. Let me just try and see if God can answer, take care of all my junk here. So he goes to church and he listens to the pastor and then he takes a connecting card and fills it out and puts it in the basket, hoping that maybe someone will call him. Then later that week, pastor phones. Pastor says, hey, let's go for a coffee. They go to coffee. Sitting down there, the pastor begins to share the gospel. God created, man rebelled, Christ redeemed, Christ will restore. So the pastor walks through the gospel message, clearly articulating what the gospel is, and the guy's listening, listening, and then at the end, the pastor says, hey, it's truth time now. Are you going to become a Christian? Do you want to become a disciple of Jesus? The guy said, you know what? I'm a man of my word. I don't think so. I'm not ready quite yet to make that step of faith. But, you know, I'll think about it. The pastor said, okay, 
No bother. That's fine. Can I pray for you at least? He said, ah, sure, fine. You can pray. So they are praying. As they're praying, as they're praying, all of a sudden, my friend says, man, he felt a huge weight come over him. And he was like, what in the world is happening? And he began to melt. So he begins crying. And doesn't know why. He's crying. It's, oh, my. And the pastor notices that, man, this guy is now feeling convicted. And so the fa- pastor finishes praying, says, amen, looks at the guy and says, I will leave you with that. And he goes. So the guy is sitting there. He's melting away and he's sitting there crying and everything. He wipes himself and then he goes to his truck, goes away. Now, this is a manly man. He's a dude. He's a manly man. He doesn't cry in public. Three weeks, he's been wrestling with what just happened in the restaurant. And at home, things are just, again, just a nightmare. Fight, fight, fight. And so, three weeks later, he's driving to work in the morning. He just had to pull over. Okay, Lord. Okay. I give up. I give up. You see, at that moment, it's like Christ came with his little buggy. Hey, dude, you still running? (laughs) Jump on. I'll take you to the finish line. And I'll welcome you into my party. Jump on. And this guy jumped in. And for that person, Paul says, for this one, I will never Put to shame. Christ will say, the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. They will be vindicated when Christ comes to judge. They will be vindicated. He ends with verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, anyone who calls, everyone will be saved. Question. Are you here today and you don't know Jesus? It's a straight question. You know, either you might be one of two ways. Either your life is really difficult and you've been running, 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 you're trying to climb and trying to get things done and Christ comes alongside and says, you know what, are you still running? (laughs) Quit running. I finished the race for you. Jump on. I'll help you. I got you. Or maybe your life is going all good and you're doing great things and there's no problems at all. Things are just going fine and you think you're a good guy. Guess what? Your good works mean nothing. They mean nothing. They mean nothing. Because there'll be a day when you'll have to give an account before God. And if all you have is your good works, ain't good enough. It ain't good enough. Embrace Christ. Embrace Christ as Savior. So how do you do it? You may have come here with someone. Ask them how you can become a Christian. If you came alone, talk to either one of the pastors you see around or anyone on the stage here or go to the info booth. We'll be more than happy to tell you more about this Jesus and how you can know him as Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you that righteousness cannot be attained through human effort, but can only be attained, a right standing can only be attained through faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, we bring ourselves to you and we say, Father, would you have mercy over us? For those of us here who are not Christian, Lord, how I pray in Jesus' name, would you reveal yourself in profound ways to them? Father, thank you for these moments you've given us to interact with your word. 
Grant us hearts of thanksgiving, even on a weekend like today. Grant us hearts of thanksgiving for what you accomplished on the cross on our account. Commend ourselves now to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.